Hello, everyone, and welcome to this brand new episode of Security and Two Sugars. I'm Annabelle Berry, and I'm over the moon to be bringing you the very first episode in 2021 of the podcast. And my guest this evening joining me is Leanne Potter. And Leanne is the Information Security Liaison Manager at Kavea Insurance. Hi, Leanne. Hello there. How's it going? I am so delighted to be the first of 2021. Who'd have thought we'd even get here, you know what I mean? <laughs> I know, exactly. And and you would have been a little bit earlier. We were just chatting off uh, off the mic, obviously, about a few technical issues with a lack of internet connection that kind of delayed this a little bit. So we were hoping to get this episode out slightly earlier. But um, but uh, people who will remain nameless, I'm not going to name and shame, um, <laughs> who basically, uh, yeah, had me cut off from internet for a while, which, was, uh, which wasn't great. But anyway, we've got here now, which is the main thing. And I'm really looking forward to having a chat with you um, about your career. It's been a little while since we last spoke. So I think when I spoke to you last, it was kind of towards the back end of last year and you were just starting your new role at Kavea. How's it going? Really well. Well, I've had a little bit of a brand change. So I, um, after a while of sort of bedding in a little bit at Kavea Digital, uh, asked if I could actually change my title a little bit to reflect the actual thing I was bringing to the company. So my, my the drum roll please, my uh, new title is it's not too different from information security liaison manager, which I always really struggle to actually get out. That was one of the reasons I asked for a change too. My new title is information security transformation manager. Oh, I the love transformation that. part is the key. So when people ask me why am I doing what I'm doing, I was like, it's because I'm the transformation manager. I feel like it should come with a cape. Um, but that's how I sort of envision the role, anyways. Definitely a cape with a big T on it. I would say that's <laughs> definitely a better title. I would say transformation is loads better than liaison liaison just sounds like you sort of you know linking a kind of a link in between transformation is absolute driving something forward exactly and, uh, and changing it which I know you, that you are and I'm really looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that later on so um so thank you for correcting me I didn't realize that had changed so apologies oh, no, uh, but I'm loving the, the new change opening. love it so yeah <laughs> absolutely so, Leanne, before we get started, I'm going to just do my usual beverage check-in, which I do with all of my guests who come and sit on the security sofa with me, all bite it being still a virtual one, unfortunately. So what are you drinking this evening to accompany your time on the sofa? Well, I'm drinking something quite fun that I don't think has been on the show before, so I'll just a little... So oh. it's in a glass. Um, just before January, I was like, oh, dry January, I'll buy some non-alcoholic alcohol so I can still tipple. Didn't realise lockdown was going to be on for as long as it is. Probably would have just bought some hard stuff. What I've bought is um, a little non-alcoholic uh, Italian spritz. So it's a bit Ooh. like a April spritz. Oh, I love an April spritz. Does it yeah. taste nice? It's, it's delicious. So you, you, it's a little bit of that uh, from a company called Liars, which I think is a great name for a... a a fake alcoholic company. <laughs> I love it. Um, Brilliant. Okay. And it's delicious. It's, it's um, it, it kind of looks like iron brew in my glass, but it's it's very nice. It's very authentic. So, do you mix it with anything? Yeah, with a bit of tonic. So, oh, tonic. It's nice. very nice. Just making a little note of that. Liars. <laughs> going that. I love an aperol. Good. Wonderful. So, on a school night, it, it doesn't feel so bad. I've not brought it to a meeting yet, even though I probably could. Exactly. Well, they, you could just pass it off as iron brew. Probably be fine. So. <laughs> need to explain wonderful well um i am drinking i'm also i'm not on uh, uh, a hot drink this evening even though it's absolutely baltic i don't know if it is with you but um i'm on the elderflower fizz tonight so very nice. exciting um nothing alcoholic here to see either because absolutely it's a school night so so good so we've got something very refreshing which sounds like really we should be drinking this on a summer's day and kind of having the windows open and enjoying the sunshine instead of being in the middle of winter and i don't know if you've had snow beautiful snow we've had lots of snow it's been uh, quite fun actually because none of the uh, commute on the train having to sort of navigate thinking oh I'm going to have to get up really early to be able to get to work so that's the nice silver lining of uh, lockdown is uh, no expectation to get into the office and the dog's yeah, been exactly. loving it too good well no, no snow here but just very cold but, in, but anyway never mind spring is on the way mm. so 
Let's get started then. We'll settle in and have our chat. So Leanne, obviously this podcast was um, launched last year with a view in mind to to speak to as many people as I possibly could in the information security industry about their careers, about them, how they got to do the jobs that they have been doing, how they got into the industry, you know, and how their careers have progressed. So where is a good place for this conversation to start as far as you're concerned? Where does this kind of interest in technology or in cybersecurity, where does that start? Does that reach far back as far as school or where, where did your interest start peeking into those areas? It doesn't really go that far back into school. It all really started in my early 30s. I was a project manager for a charity and it was a charity that was dealing with a project that aim to get people out of deep destitution so it's people who had you know not not eaten in a while you know they're homeless had lots of uh, addictions or fled domestic violence so pretty much anything bad that could happen in your life these people were were experiencing and I was in charge of a five million pound project and the brief was solve destitution which was a, a big weighty tome of a brief to to get and we just didn't know what was going to come through our doors so we opened the doors and then all of a sudden all these uh, different needs and, and requirements came through and what was becoming really apparent really quickly as soon as we opened these doors was the people who were most in need were incredibly digitally exclusive excluded we were spending all our time processing online forms, doing things online for them that they couldn't do themselves. Because, you know, if you're not eating, you're not going to have a smartphone, you know, you're not going to be able to keep up that kind of connection. Mm. And we were finding, you know, people coming into our service and saying, you know, I've just been to the job centre and they've turned me away. I wanted to sign on. They said, you know, they pointed me to a bank of computers and said they can't help but try and figure it out. Or they'll say, you know, go to the library and sort it out. But of these people, you know, they... they were under so much stress you know they'd never been into a library before a lot of them had mental health issues anxiety just asking them to go and ask for help in a library was like a really big deal so that's what we were spending all our time doing so I became really fascinated by the the term the digital divide which sort of suggests that if you're if you don't have the ability to access digital services then you're socially excluded so I started studying that formally while I was working um as an anthropologist uh, at master's level and I just became just fascinated by the way technology can really change society and I thought well there's got to be a better way of actually creating tech that really serves the needs of, them, of everyone not just people who actually are able to access digital services because as I say you know the people that needed the help most were, were totally excluded by the people who should be helping them first and foremost you know government bodies and, and local councils and things like that. Definitely. I mean, having all these barriers in the way of people that actually should be trying to make things easier for not putting barriers in place just to try and streamline processes and not really thinking those things through, which is, you know, which is absolutely right. Leanne, taking you a little bit back just before that, mm. obviously, how did you get into working in that area in the first place? Is that something that you, what, what did you want to do when you were starting out your career? Is What was your vision you know we will start out life or our career journeys quite often having something in mind about an area that we're particularly interested in and obviously something led you to that role in the first place what was that well as a kid I wanted to be an astronaut I adored everything to do with space I had my whole bedroom kicked out and planets everywhere you know the glow in the dark stars everything I, I was like I'm going to be an astronaut and I remember going uh, up to my teacher in primary school and saying this is what I want to do. How do I get there? And she just sort of looked down at me, sort of squinting and sort of saying, frowning a bit. And she just sort of looked at me and said, girls can't be astronauts. And it was such a devastating, it was like a gut punch. It really was. And I just remember just being so devastated by, you know, no I no, no one else I could really go to. Um, you know, the teacher seemed like the biggest authority because, you know, I grew, mm. grew up in a place where, you know, there was a lot of deprivation, you know, you know, the, the kids around near me would, would always wear their school uniforms even on a weekend because that was the only clothes they had. You know, th there was times when, you know, we had to think about, you know, are we able to heat the house? Are we, you know, heating and eating was a sort of a really big thing uh, for me sort of growing up. And so the teacher who had this professional job, you know, I thought, well, they must know how I can mm. do this and help me kind of get out of my own circumstances. But no, 
uh, being a girl, apparently, you can't, you can't be an astronaut. And, and what year was that, roughly? That was probably early 90s. Right, okay. And I just remember thinking, oh, well, that, that's good as that. And I just kind of took her word as gospel, you know, because I'm so young and, and just, and that was just it. And I was just like, oh, well, I guess I won't try in that area. I won't try in science. I won't try in maths. There's no point. But I had um, other loves as well. So I was an avid reader. Um, so really enjoyed English literature. And that's what I went on to study at university. And just as I was about to graduate, the financial crash kicked in. And uh, I was just sat there thinking, what am I going to do with a uh, BA in English during a financial crash? And mm-hmm. took the first yeah. job that came along, um, which was working as a administrator at a hotel. So I kind of fell into administrator roles for a really long time. I just It was great at the time because it was a job and jobs were scarce. But I always find with things like administrator roles, at least in my experience... Once you have that job title, it's really hard to get out of it. It's one of those jobs that are very, very difficult to convince people otherwise. And I always found that any sort of job I had, I was always the first one to pick it up really quickly. So, you know, within a few weeks, I was training the trainer, um, implementing new processes, new procedures. But almost to my detriment sometimes, I would actually, you know, promotions would come up and I'd go for them. And they'd turn around, we can't lose you, Leanne. You know, yes, yes. So I, I would, you know, <laughs> I would do go above and beyond my role because I was bored, to be honest, doing the sort of standard um, what was required. But then I, I would almost sort of paint myself out of a, a position, unfortunately, just yeah. because of the nature way admin roles tend to be. You know, if, if you're good at what you do, people tend not to want to get rid of you. So how did you move move forward from from those roles into? you know, into the role that you were mentioning that was kind of the really transformative role, talk about transformations, you know, the really kind of pivotal role for you in yes. terms of getting into the industry. How did you make that leap? To get to the, the project manager role, um, I was originally doing lots of admin roles and then I got made redundant from one. Um, and I was I was an office manager for a little bit, but it was it was more managing, making sure people sent, sent the, the right postage on envelopes, that kind of office management rather than actual people management. And I got made redundant, unfortunately, from that role. So I just took, again, I'm just like treading water everywhere, just taking the first jobs that came along. And I started off as a receptionist role. So I was started off at this charity doing reception, being on the front line, you know, the first people people saw. And it was it was a very baptism of fire because it wasn't something I'd done before. Um, and I remember at one time, it was this crazy incident where, just to sort of give you a flavour of what the area was like, a guy came in with a crossbow one time and oh was God. just like, yeah. And you know, just very nonchalantly and sort of saying, you oh, know, I need help. I'm like, okay. So it was diffusing situations like that was, you know, became part of the norm. And mm. there was, you know, occasions where I thought, mm, sometimes I don't know if I'm going to make it out of uh, even this room sometimes. You know, there was alarms everywhere. So it was that kind of high stress thing. And you either sink or swim with that kind of job, I think. So I think they saw something in me and thought, you know, we'll we'll keep promoting her upwards. And I finally, I got back into administration uh, from receptionist. I then built my way back into projects as soon as I could and sort of prove that I had more to me than than just admin. But it, it did take a long time to, to get to that point. And what were the qualities, do you think, that they saw in you that made that happen? I think it was my ability to take something from nothing. Um, I'm also very good at establishing new new projects and processes, really. Um, I'm very keen on metrics. So it's it's one thing to sort of set things up and sort of step back and think, oh, that was good. But I actually like to really sort of drill down, like, what made this work? What made this not work? How can we tweak that? How can we, you know, show an improvement? How, how can we show the benefits going forward? So that's something I really enjoy. And again, um, being really sort of people focused as well and understanding actually what people's motivations are, good or, good and bad, especially in that role. You know, people were often sent to us, you know, from other organisations and they they would come through our doors quite quite angry because they'd been passed around pillar to post from loads of different organisations and we were pretty much the like last stop. So if we couldn't help them, you know, nobody could. So so there was quite a lot of resentment and, you know, they, they'd sort of see us as part of the chain. So you'd, you'd have to sort of gain their trust and confidence. Um, and that was something that was really rewarding to actually be able to do. 
um, to really turn these people's lives around. Definitely, and yeah, absolutely right. I think frustration is the right is the right word, isn't it? You know, because when you literally you're hitting barriers, you're hitting walls, and you're being referred here, there, and everywhere. You know, eventually to get through to speak to a team of people who can actually help you and are actually interested in helping you actually mm. is a is is a big change but actually i can imagine by the time like you say the last kind of you're the last pillar by the time they've got to you they've been through a lot and particularly the people that you were talking about in the situations that they were this is critical you know it's mm. it's, it's, it's it's this is not just a, a nice to have something you know something's not working or something hasn't been switched on you know yeah. this is really critical to their lives so so tell me a little bit more about that that role then and and how things evolved from you within that role and obviously in the interest that you were suddenly looking and doing some more analysis about this area and and looking into the you know this huge issue that you was very apparent the moment you stepped into that what should have been an enabler was actually you know a, um, a blocker really. Oh yeah, very much so. And it just made me so angry. I think that's what uh, drove me in the first instance to look into it. I was just like, this this seems so silly that nobody's um, just sort of sat and thought about actually these services that we're setting up for people. If they don't have access, how are we going to reach them? It, it just, at the time, uh, it just didn't seem like anything had been done in that respect you know nowadays you know I've um, had a you know, job myself in the NHS for example and I can see actually that is very much on on the radar now but at the time you know we're only talking of 2018 uh, before when I first got my first job in tech that was still very much the case even in sort of big government organizations these people were not being catered for whatsoever and they were being disadvantaged but as part of my role was you know as part of the funders was to you know, write a lot of reports and saying, actually, why did I think there was a lot of destitution in this area? And, you know, what were the barriers? And digital uh, exclusion was the biggest one I put and cited. And I said, back this up with the research I was also doing, you know, in my, in my um, spare time while I was studying as well. This is a major issue. And if we don't address it now, then we're going to leave a whole swathe of people behind. And it wasn't just what you'd expect. It wasn't just older people. You know, typically when you think of people who are not sort of tech savvy, you think of older people, but we, these were young people. These people were people who had gone through the care system, for example, foster care system and things like that. So they also have never really had access to, to digital devices, um, you know, or orphanages and things like and in and out of sort of state care. And middle-aged people who would at the time probably had more manual working jobs and those jobs have dried up not too long after the, the financial crash. Those jobs have dried up and now they're entering a workplace where it requires you to be able to use a computer, but they've never had to before. So it was a really mixed bag. And as I say, I just became a really big advocate for it and became really fascinated by the subject in general. And then that's when it started ticking over in my head, actually. How do I get a job in tech so I can really make a difference here? Because that's where it was all led by. It was all me really wanting to actually get hands on and, and do tech for good. Yeah. So how did that happen? <laughs> that's, that's the big question. Yeah. How did you go from doing that and make that leap? How did you get that ball rolling? Well, I, as I say, I was like, how do I, how am I going to get here? Um, I had no idea at the time. And then unfortunately, as is the way with the third sector, and there was a funding cut and there was lots of redundancies and I was part of that. And uh, I always say that uh, redundancy is a, is a heck of a career motivator. And so I was wondering, how do I... Uh, how do I take what I've learned from my anthropology, digital anthropology studies that I've been doing and all the research I've been doing with that? And how do I apply that to a job in tech? And at the time, it seemed like the only logical way to do it was to learn a tech skill. So I decided to teach myself how to become a software developer. And this is this is from someone who's never... <laughs> If you would have told me this, you know, like four years ago, or however long I've, I've been doing it now, that you were going to become a software developer, I would have just, no, there would just be no way that that would have been the case at all. And there was nothing in my background to ever indicate that, you know, as I say, you know, the only interest I had in science and maths kind of got squashed at primary school age. And if, I, I did use computers, obviously, in the 90s and things like that, but not to any sort of great degree. So yeah, I, I decided to teach myself how to code. How did you decide that was the thing that you were going to... You know, did, were there other things on the table that you were looking into and that was the thing that you thought, actually, this is the area where I can... Was that the bit that interested you the most? What what was... Because there would have been a few things, I would imagine, on the table at the time that you could have, you know, the path you would have gone down. Why, why, why coding? You know what? At the time, it, it really didn't seem like there was much choice for someone with my background. Um, 
when I started looking into roles and things like that, people wanted lots of experience. I didn't have that. Embedded sort of tech role experiences. Yeah, it, it just didn't, it just, at the time, it just seemed like a logical solution. Just like, oh, well, if, if I want to work in tech, I need to learn a technical skill. So how hard could it be? <laughs> <laughs> well, for a lot of people, I think that would have been a really scary jump is, the, you know, that's the reason, because I think a lot of people are quite intimidated by writing code and software developing and things like that and that that's I guess why I was asking but you you're you're a run into the <laughs> run into the fire type personally and I think are you I think if I, if I still sort of sort of, <laughs> sort of shake my head when I think about it now I think that's a really interesting conclusion to jump to like well, why did you think that was the easiest route in tech but it worked so yeah I, I just tripped uh, learning to code like a full-time job where did you go where did, what resources did you use for that it was majority of it was for free so as I, I was in between jobs and so I'd wake up at nine o'clock in the morning I'll treat it like a job get up at nine o'clock in the morning um use things like free code camp code academy youtube videos and the like you know code until lunchtime have a lunch break carry on until the evening and then in the evening I would go to tech meetups pretty much every single night and I just from there, I just found my tech tribe, you know, found found communities that I felt really strongly akin to. You know, they were really helpful. They would go, they would go and help me develop, you know, point me to resources, uh, hold my hand really when I was getting a bit fed up because, you know, as I say, it's, it's uh, even though at the time I was like, oh, how hard it could it be? It's pretty hard. It, you know, the starting is, uh, learning the basics is, uh, it's pretty easy, but as, as you start to do that uh, learning curve, it can be quite difficult. And and the communities that you found, were they mainly people that you, you met at the meetups that you were going to in the evening or were there online communities that you became part of that were helpful or was it was it a bit of both it was predominantly in person because you know, this is pre-covid days <laughs> um, so the, no well, uh, we could all get together we could all and, get together gosh can you imagine now it's crazy leeds has got an absolutely um cracking tech scene so i was spoiled for choice like i say it was, it was something every night i ate pizza and drank beer every night you know just the, that was the way the the meetups were meetup staples yeah yes. very much so <laughs> yeah. um one of the biggest things i miss you know one of the biggest uh shocks was actually having to cook for myself on an evening again uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> no. um but yeah I, I just loved it um and as i say just people were just so welcoming which was really nice because i'd, I'd done my research into the, the tech industry before taking the plunge and you know i'd heard about bro culture I'd heard about that it's not exactly the most diverse place in the world and so I was a bit cautious but actually the meetups were really friendly really nice good and that's that's lovely to hear because you know you get such conflicting stories that come come back from people who some people are saying yeah it was great and lots of support whatever some people obviously hit some uh, some issues along mm. the way so that's lovely that that was that experience so so obviously you're teaching yourself you're being very disciplined you're treating it you know effectively like your your full-time job in terms of getting on you've embraced um, the communities that are available you're going above and beyond really by obviously you know attending meetups every evening you know you're really throwing yourself into that so how did that transpire into a role and how how did you approach that? How did you go from obviously self-learning and teaching yourself and getting support to, to being able to translate that into, into getting a job? Leeds has a thing called Leeds Digital Festival, which is a big shout out to them because it's, it's fantastic what they do. And I went to one and it was about the NHS and how they uh, handle cyber incidents. And it was going to the talk that they were doing and I just was like oh this sounds really exciting actually you know obviously I'd heard about WannaCry in the news uh, so WannaCry was 2017 so this is about 2018 mm. I was like oh I'm really into this how do I get into cyber security so I'm already pivoting you know I'm, I'm, I've only been uh, learning for probably about four months at this point and I'm already thinking how am I going to pivot to cyber security and is that you know kind of looking at that a little bit is that just part and parcel of who you are Leanne do you think are am you, I a flip-flopper just one of these people who <laughs> no I'm not a flip-flopper because I wouldn't call it a flip-flopper it's more somebody who's always looking at what the potential opportunities are around you know not just getting caught into one thing but obviously you know hopping into because that's what 
so many people I've had on the podcast, effectively, they we hop to one thing, you have a look, you, you do your best, you throw, you immerse yourself in it, you take the opportunities when they present it, and then you see there's another opportunity and you go for that. And, and that's characteristic of quite a lot of the people who've been on the podcast so far. But is that inherent to who you are as a person in terms of getting in there, seeing the lay of the land and going, oh, opportunity there, I'm going to follow, you know, is that just part of who you are do you think i think it, it has become that yeah very much so um let's say it wasn't always like that it took me until you know my, my 30s to even have that kind of confidence because it does take a lot of confidence to actually go actually i could probably do that and just saying you know from from no experience to to someone saying actually i'm going to give this a go so i do i do think it has taken me quite a long time to sort of get there and what built that confidence up what are the things that have bolstered that confidence over the years to get to the point do you think I don't know if it was really anything that boosted my confidence. It was more fear of not achieving. As I say, I was you know I was doing admin jobs for like ten years, and I was so fed up. And I thought I just can't keep doing this. You know, when when I got made redundant from the the uh, charity job, I absolutely loved that job. You know, if that job was still you know there, I probably would still be there because I really loved it. Um, you know, helping people, but. When, you know, push came to shove and, you know, it was made redundant, I was just like, I can't just go back into more admin. I just cannot do it. Something has to give. And at around about the sort of same time as well, my mum got diagnosed with lung cancer, so there's probably something to do with that as well. That was sort of, you know, seize the day, you know, m- yeah. make those changes in life. And I just, you know, I knew I could do so much more. And I thought, well, you either start or you don't. So I guess this is where it's all coming from, is just, is this sort of need to sort of, Time is short. Yeah, seizing the moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You've obviously, looking at what you're doing, you're feeling a little bit more confident, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in yourself. You've got the drive. You you know that you're starting to see there are opportunities here in terms of information security and cybersecurity and things like that. So what was your approach and and how did you move that forward? So uh, after the talk, I went up to the people who did the talk and I said, I'm really interested. How do I get into cybersecurity? And they're like, oh, well, there's all these certs you need to do, there's all this sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, enthusiasm? Does, will that get me anywhere? And <laughs> the desire to learn? It seemed not with cybersecurity. And I was quite despondent. I was just, uh, it, it did seem like cybersecurity was a much harder nut to crack than software development. So I thought, okay, what I'll do then is I'll, I'll stick on this path. I will carry on, you know, seeing how far I can get with software development. I could pivot once I'm inside, was the sort of theory. And so that's what I did. And... NHS Digital were advertising a, a graduate scheme and even though I graduated some some time ago I thought I'll give it a go and see if I get it and I did so they, they hired me as a software developer and from the point of learning how to code uh, to my first day in tech that was eight months. Wow that's incredible and how was that job how was that first opportunity how did that go? Because that must have been pretty, I don't know if intimidating might be the the word I, w- I, d- I would use, I suppose, in terms of landing in that, that first opportunity or, or what, we, what were you feeling at the time? Really excited. But that I think it was, again, just because finally that change was happening. Um, I, I'd finally broken out of the cycle, the, the administration cycle. And, and there's nothing against being an administrator, and I'll come on to that later, about my uh, my theories of administration and cybersecurity shortly. But I just needed to get out of there. I needed to, to do something that I felt really stretched my abilities. And I was like really, really excited to be involved. And unfortunately, my first day wasn't the best. Okay. What happened? I turned up to work quite early, sat down, you know, point, was pointing to a desk, you know, this is where you're going to sit. Uh, my team hadn't arrived yet, and I overheard a colleague from another team turn around and sort of say to someone else, they didn't know I was there, turn around and go, oh, well, you know why they've hired a load of women this time around, don't you? So we look really good on the diversity stats. Right. Nice. First day. Good. First first day in tech. Mm-hmm. Bear in mind that, you know, I'm, I'm buzzing with the excitement that it, you know it's a tech job mm. and I was just like oh oh no the things I have read are true this is not good um so how did you deal with that let's just say it's no fun raising a HR issue on your first day no, <laughs> no. I, I was fuming 
absolutely fuming. And so, you know, as soon as my sort of manager sort of came in, I just like, can I just borrow you a second? I need to tell you something. This is what's been said. Uh, I don't appreciate it. What are you going to do about it? And I could take it two ways. You know, I look back on that time and, you know, I still get really mad about it. But, you know, because I was really angry that that person just assumed that I'd got this role just because I was a woman, not because I'd done the same assessment that everyone else had done. I'd done all the interviews that everyone else had done, the same tech tests that everyone else had done. I was like, I'm, I'm here because I worked hard to be here. Mm. You know, I, I dedicated all my time, you know, I, I neglected family, friends, hobbies, everything to, to get my first job in tech. You know, I took a massive pay cut, you know, and I, I know I wasn't working at the time, but going from um, the salaries I were on and, you know, could have had, you know, I, I took a pay cut and took a graduate job, yeah. you know, yeah. at age 30. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I was I was furious. Um, and how did they deal with it? Did they did they deal yeah, with it well? My 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 boss was livid. He he actually was one of the people that interviewed me, and it's just he said, you know, we've hired you because you're good at what you do, not just because you're a woman. You know, we need those expertise. You know, it was mostly a lot a lot of my I believe a lot of the reason why I got hired was because of the work I was doing on the digital divide and being able to sort of implement that, you know, for the NHS, you know, give those experiences of, you know, real life of people. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, bringing uh, many years experience in many different roles uh, to, to bear onto that role. So so that's that person, um, you know, they went through a few official channels and they were made to do an apology and they shouldn't have bothered to be honest their their apology was more i'm sorry what i said to upset you rather than uh, i'm sorry for what i said but i i could have taken that two ways so i i do think had i been a bit younger i probably would have just sat there and probably would have just internalized it and probably not said anything and probably would have ended up just doing the day job and just thinking, actually, maybe a, maybe a job in tech isn't the, the yellow brick road or anything like that. But what I decided to do is turn that around and think, I'm never going to let anyone else feel this way again. I'm never going to let anyone who's retrained for a career tech, man or woman, feel like, you know, that they've, they've joined an industry that's not inclusive. So mm. I've taken it upon myself to do a lot of work in like public speaking and um, mentoring to make sure that people know that the diversity of thought is one of the best ways that we're going to make the tech industry what it is. Yes, needed. Good for you, Liam, for dealing it with like that. And, and and like you say, sometimes I think when you're younger in your career, it's easier to react or not to react and not to say anything and, and to stew and, and let it affect you. And I think some people, again, like Sarah, having been on the podcast, Sarah Armstrong Smith last year, mm. and she was saying something had happened to her quite early on. And, and she said that was the thing that literally gave her the inner grit to go, this is never happening to me again. I'm never going to be in that position, you know. So you either dig deep or y- you make something of that, you use that mm. and you channel it in a good way, which is which is obviously what you've done. So, yeah. so good, for, good for you. So apart from the first day, <laughs> which didn't go well, how did things how did things evolve for you from there? I just loved it. Um, so I was very keen, put my hand up for everything, particularly. So I'd, I'd been hired in as a developer, and straight away I was putting my hand up, going. By the way, I really like security as well. And if you're um, wanting to get into security, it's one of the biggest things I would say. If, if you if you're in tech but not security just yet, but you want to be, just tell people because nobody wants to do security so if you put your hand up and say i want to do something in security they will give you all the jobs and all the experience you need as much as i find it a very sexy subject a lot of people don't so i i found that you know as soon as who are these crazy people who are these crazy people who don't think security sexy yeah that's crazy i'm afraid we're in our own bubble (laughs) (laughs) absolutely so I just put my hand up for everything and so it started off as um, pen test remediation was was one of the things I did quite a lot so it was really interesting to actually see actually where did we go wrong and how do we fix it that was always really very interesting so was this you volunteering to help out on extra yes projects right okay yeah what I really loved doing was doing my talks so I'd go to different departments and do my talks on digital uh, exclusion you know accessibility and things like that because they, they were the subjects I was really interested in so it was, it was a nice sort of dual thing that I was able to do and it's, it's only really something you can ever ever really do I suppose in a graduate scheme is to do wear different hats at the same time and get away with it really uh, occasionally I let, let the mm. day, day jobs uh, slack while I did other stuff but I think it was all for the benefit and one of the 
things I absolutely loved doing, which was, again, addition to my role. Um, it wasn't something that was on the job description or anything like that. Um, I organised a code club for non-technical staff, specifically aimed at people who were in the admin pool to learn how to create websites from scratch. Wow. And that was a real big success. Um, so we, the first time we did it was for International Women's Day, and the, mm. it just sold out instantly. And it, it was all these people that, you know... I was just going to say, what was the take up? So how many, how many people roughly? Uh, so it was 40 people, which we weren't, we were expecting, we wow, were expecting gosh. like 10. We, you know, we had 40, 40 seats, but we were nowhere near expecting that many people. And the atmosphere was so buzzy. People were laughing and, you know, we were teaching them, you know, how to make a website. You know, people who really, their sort of technical skills weren't beyond surfing the web and emails, you know, and they were writing code from scratch within a few hours and you know people coming up to me afterwards saying i don't think i'm gonna retrain and that was such a buzzy sort of thing um and so we did that as sort of a regular feature it became you know part of the learning and development cycle you know we'd put these sessions on and i'm not kidding you they would sell out within seconds and and, and i mean seconds so i would say to the organization these tickets are going to be available at 10 a.m mm. and literally before the uh, 10.01 sort of came in they were gone and they would sell out every single time. And the feedback we would get were unanimously five stars. People just loved learning how to code. And what were they using that what were they using those skills for? And how many people do you think actually went on and, and, and retrained? What what was the, the consequence, the out, output of that? Yeah, so so the, the whole intention was is that I was noticing that as, as a as a sort of organisation, we were becoming more cross-functional. So particularly for people as well, we had a lot of content designers who who weren't out and out technical but you know would engage with the developers and say actually i want you to put this content on the website for me for example and what what I was finding is you know we'd have these cross-functional teams and we'd be sat in meetings and as soon as the techies started talking they would go look at their phones they would look at their emails um you know they would get very distracted because they couldn't relate to what the techies were saying because the techies was was were speaking in a language that wasn't familiar to them yeah and in a way as well you know the techies weren't making any inclusions um which i don't support i think you should you should speak plainly regardless of what environment you're in but what i was finding is like how can i actually bridge that gap because like, i was one of them you know I, you know i was non-technical but i, I learned it and it can be learned um you know there's a lot of um secrecy behind that you know that people people think that it's just so out of um reach and out of bounds but actually it can be it can be very much the basics and very much taught and learned and i thought if they just knew a bit of the vernacular they could be more engaged and then we could get to where we need to be quicker because we'd be able to collaborate more mm. and so the immediate effect after people were doing these sessions was actually I can actually go on to our prototypes and knock knock a quick prototype up and say to the developer, this is how I want it to look. And that's what they were doing. So instead of actually waiting for a developer to sort of, you know, they draw something out in paper or something and say, can you build this? This is kind of how I want it to look content-wise. They would just do it themselves. So actually, I mean, it's increasing efficiencies, yeah. isn't it? And looking at streamlining processes, which is good for everybody, ultimately. Getting stuff done a lot quicker just because people have got greater context and greater understanding about the whole process. Yeah, exactly. And it, it helped as well, and I don't know if the developers appreciated it at the time, but it helped as well with um, content designers, for example, could call out the developers and say, you know, the developers say, oh, that's not possible. I'm like, actually, I know it's possible because I, I, I can do it. So <laughs> that, well, that was, that was yeah. an interesting side effect. But um, in terms of people retraining, yes, we had a few people who uh, sort of took their studying further. Wow, it's amazing. Good. And something's coming from your own experiences and being able to help and put things on which directly may help other people in who are in exactly the same positions as you move forward you know as i say look at general overall business business efficiencies and and streamlining and things like that which is uh, which is amazing to be part of that so you're obviously volunteering this time and information and you're you know you're you've got fingers in lots of different pies in terms of what you're doing outside of the role that you were doing so how how did that move forward from there because clearly Leanne you're already making obviously you're making a huge impact to the organization that you're working in by doing these extra extra things and again you know I mentioned this earlier on I think in terms of the podcast and the guests I've had on the, the consistencies for every single guest I've had so far have been I took on some extra responsibilities I looked at this I volunteered for this I you know I put my hand I threw my hat in the ring for xyz it's it's taking those opportunities or creating opportunities and going to somebody and saying can I do this those people tend to be the game changers within organizations and um you know in case in point with you so so where did 
where did it go from there? So as part of my uh, day-to-day job, unofficially as well, <laughs> uh, was to... And, and, and how are you ha- having the time for all of this, by the way, is the other thing. Gosh, because it's something, but go on. Sorry, I interrupted. <laughs> so I, uh, <laughs> I'm just mega efficient. I'm ver- I just get very focused on, on things. I'm, I'm very good at time boxing my day. But one of the things that was on my sort of day-to-day was to make myself an absolute nuisance to the senior leadership team of the uh, cybersecurity arm of NHS Digital. <laughs> Every single chance I could, I would get in touch with them and say, I know that you don't take on graduates for your for your department, but I'm really interested. I'm going to conferences out of my own pocket, you know, paying for it to go myself. I said, I'm doing all this online training in cybersecurity, um, going above and beyond my actual role. And this is the experience I'm doing at the moment. I want to be there. Eventually, I won an award, actually, at NHS Digital. I won a Rookie of the Year, which was which is quite nice. And so I could use that as well. And I, I kept saying, do you really want to let down the rookie of the year? <laughs> um, but I, would, I, I think it comes from a lot of it. I find it very easy to speak to sort of senior leadership and directors and, and people, you know, at executive level. Um, I never have any sort of... I think some people have quite a lot of nerves when, when sort of going up the food chain. I, I really don't. And I think they appreciate that. Because I think it's it can be quite lonely at the top, and I, I'm always just very much like, oh, do you know what's going on on the ground floor? Do you know? Do you want? Do you want to know how things are actually working and how I can make these better for you? And it's just about getting that hook in. And once you find the hook, they're very willing to listen. I think. And after making, a, as I say, a nuisance of myself, I was really well known uh, in the department before I even started. Uh, working there, I finally got a role in their sock, and it was brilliant. And was that they had a vacancy that came up that you then applied for, or how? Did no, that... no, I, I shoot, shoot myself in again. Let, let me in. Let me in. <laughs> Good. They created a role for you. Yeah, yeah. I just moved yeah. someone's stuff <laughs> off the desk and said, "I'm sitting, I'm, I'm sitting here now." Tenacity for you. Um, Good. So, okay, so you've moved into the sock role. Loving it. You're loving that whole environment and the job. Yeah, I'm just like, I've done it. I've mm. got into cybersecurity. This this uh, industry that, you know, on, on the roadmap of getting into tech was like, looks so difficult, you know, because it's very, it still is quite cert heavy. You know, you look and entry level roles need you to be in a role for 10 years before you can get out of an entry level role. So it's a very strange industry i finally got in and yeah and i would say persistence got me there but my coding skills actually uh impressed them um was one of the, the big things so i one of the first things i did was i changed one of their bau processes that took them a whole day to do into a, a one-click process mm-hmm. yeah and they're just like oh yeah you can stick okay. <laughs> well that's it it's all about efficiencies again isn't it you know and trying mm-hmm. to make and having somebody coming in and not just following a process because it's always been done like that, but looking at how you can make that better and make that a lot quicker and a lot faster, which is going to help everybody. And going back to my point I said earlier, you know, as, as I say about administrators. So the first few weeks of me doing my soccer, you know, I am delighted that I'm there. But I was like, oh, this is a real big con, actually, because I was um, tier one. And I was like, tier one activities are nothing but administrative roles. It's like all we're doing is copy and pasting from spreadsheets and making appointments and doing, you know, looking at documents, looking for anomalies and things like that. And I was like, administrators would be fantastic in this role. And it just seemed to me like it was this big con, you know, that just because it had this tech branding that it really excluded a lot of people from actually thinking I could do that job. And I would turn around to my boss all the time and going, you know, whenever we needed to recruit anyone, I was like, you need to go to the admin pool. You'd get someone in here from the admin pool and they would whip this service into shape. They really would. They would because they're so efficient and you can see where the gaps are and fill those gaps and make processes. I was like, you would be remiss not to keep hiring people from the admin pool into these type mm. of roles. So it's something that I've been sort of discussing um, at my current employment of like, how do we actually get people to do little taster sessions. Yeah, yeah. In... That's a good point. And what was, what was their reaction to that? 
They're very interested, so watch the okay. space. Good. Another podcast coming out later on in the year, I guess. So, <laughs> um, so you've landed your job in the SOC. You've you're loving it. You're looking at obviously you're already making a, an impact in terms of the job and things like that. So, what kind of job role? Because I know you're not just sat back going, "Well, I'm here now, and that's good, and this is all good, and I'm just going to crack on and do that." Because we know that's not how you're uh, that's not how you're built. The end. So, what did you have? in mind you know what was the plan from there because I know it wouldn't have been staying in that in that role even though as much as you loved it and the experience and everything else and you were now there what 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 kind of things did you have your eye on that you were that were ticking over in your mind so I you're, you're very right um again I wouldn't say it's boredom um I, I definitely don't think it's boredom yeah just just enthusiasm to want to just keep trying new things and i'd definitely be the type of person uh at the ice cream place and like can i try that flavor first and that one that one yeah okay and so what happened was i was thinking oh well what what where do i see myself and how can i actually draw this back into being more people focused because the, the sock roll was was technical um uh, through and through i absolutely and as i say i absolutely adored it eventually i worked on their scene just found it absolutely fascinating working with so many endpoints it was just brilliant but I wanted to get back into the people side of it. And so what I ended up doing was part of a leadership course that I was on. It got me in front of a lot of uh, GPs and clinicians. And I was able to have some really wonderful conversations with them that they'd never had before with with anyone from sort of our organisation in terms of security. And it was saying to them, OK, we put these controls in place for you. How are you actually dealing with them? You know, taking it from like more of a user research perspective and saying, actually... When you're on the wards and things like that, what are the controls that we're putting in place to secure our systems, which, you know, are vital? What controls are we putting in place that are stopping you from actually being able to deliver patient care? Mm. Because I think, you know, obviously for my first job in tech, you know, my concern is, is don't let anyone die. Like, you know, I've, I've never worked anywhere where, like, that's my number one priority. It's like, don't let anyone die. And that's the kind of, that's your compass to making sure that you do your job right. Yeah. You know, you don't really get that in the commercial sector or anything like that. You know, it's, this is this mm. is it. And so when I sort of found out, like, um, what con- the controls, you know, and how they were having an impact, but also the way we were selling why we needed to be secure wasn't meeting meeting their vernacular again. So when when you say you know cybersecurity to someone or a cybersecurity incident, for example, they're thinking financial. They're thinking, oh, you know, someone stole my card details and they've done online shopping that's the same mindset that the gps and clinicians and and, and other people working uh, on the sort of front line had they're just like oh well surely if you know wanna cry happens again all it is is just that the computers don't work mm. i was like yeah that's the case the computers don't work but what's the impact of the computers not working well you're about to prescribe something to someone and you don't know they're allergic to it and then they have allergic reaction and you don't know why. You don't know why that this is happening. Mm. And then they succumb to that reaction. It's like that's the reason why we're doing these things to keep you safe. It's not it's not because of the inconvenience. It's because actually all the information that we need for you to do your job are on these systems. We need to protect them so you can carry on delivering patient care. It's putting it into context into something that matters to them, isn't it? Ultimately. Yeah. 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 And you know, that's what matters to a doctor. Patient care matters to a doctor. Well, it matters to everyone. But it matters to a doctor, you know, that's a vocational job. Mm. You know, they take that oath saying, you know, do no harm. And so one of the remits actually is, is actually you need to keep safe in your job and, you know, not use crappy passwords and not leave your smart card lying around and or glued to the keyboard like it's sometimes found and things like that. And yeah, it's just, just a, you know, putting it into that perspective for them enabled them to sort of understand and, you know, I'd, I'd go and do these talks with them. And they turn, you know, again, this is additional to my role. This isn't really part of it, but I do these talks with them and, and they, they turn around, I understand now. Mm. And, you know, I'm not going to see these sort of controls as a, you know, there to annoy me. I'm actually going to say, actually, they're there to keep me safe so I can carry on doing the job. Yeah. Yeah. And that made a massive difference. And so I started sort of getting really interested in actually how can we nudge behaviors? And then how do I actually start doing a real where? It can be still have all this sort of cybersecurity technical side that I really love and enjoy, but actually, how can I actually make sure I can influence behaviours to actually do the things that I want people to do to keep them safe? Because actually, people are the 
the easiest thing to hack over yeah. over anything else. So how how do we implement that? Yeah, and then the, the hardest things <laughs> by far that we yes. found, you know, I think as an industry yeah. so far. So where did that lead you to? Where did that kind of focus back on? Not back on people because I don't think it's ever been away from people, but you know, specifically on awareness and, but more importantly, the right type of awareness and getting landing the message and getting people to understand and have the context and the consequences, which I think is sometimes a thing that we're not very good at communicating. Well, it, it would kind of got around um, outside of uh, NHS that this is what I was doing, that I was very interested in sort of a behavioural science approach to um, information security. So it was through my now boss uh, had overheard that this was something that I was particularly passionate about and had sort of delivered good results in other areas, not not just um, with clinicians, but also improving relationships between teams because mm-hmm. um, that was something I was also really interested in because, you know, I, I would... You know, still relatively new to the industry, I'd, I'd bounce in and go, oh, why aren't you getting along with this team? There's no reason for you not to be getting... We've all got the same, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. end goal. Yeah. You know, same focus. Why aren't we getting along? Um, you know, because security has always been seen as the team that says no. And I wanted to make sure that that wasn't the case anymore. I said, we need a, a rebrand. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Not the fun place. So, and when you say word got around, how do you, how do you mean? How do you, how, how do you think people got to hear about that? Again, through uh, leveraging my network. Okay. Um, yeah. So still doing um, a lot of meetups um, at this point as well, um, speaking at them, connecting with people, evangelizing about people-centric cybersecurity, which I think there is definitely two camps of people when it comes to cybersecurity, and I don't think the people-centric side's uh, as vocal because um, obviously the tech side is, is the fun part. You know, Everyone wants to, wants to be an elite hacker. I still do, you know. If I had the time to to pick up those skills, I would love to, to to do it. But at the end of the day, I think my real passion is is the idea that you know, if if you follow the cable, there's a person behind that. And how do we secure the person so that we can secure the cable? Mm. So your now boss got to hear kind of out there that you were this is what you were doing and mm-hmm. approached you about. A new job opportunity, or were they recruiting in this area, or, or how did that come about? No, they they weren't recruiting. Um, it was a job created for me. They are going through a digital transformation themselves, and they said we want to do security differently. If we're going to do this brave new world of, um, so it's an insurance company, so not not traditionally something that's sort of high on the sort of tech spectrum, as it were. Yeah, you know, they've got real ambitions to be. Um, tech innovators in their field, and I said, "Well, we want to do it all. We don't. We don't want to just focus on the, you know, the other areas that are sort of traditionally focus on. So, you know, like agile development, uh, DevOps, and things like that. We we actually want to make sure it's the whole shebang, including security, which I thought was um, a really nice change of pace. Really, yeah, because, very uh, forward thinking view. Yeah, really forward thinking. Because at the time, you know, I wasn't actively looking for a, a job." Um, away from NHS, but I would go to job fairs, you know, out of curiosity, and every single stand I would go to, and I was like, cybersecurity, and they'd be like, ah, we, we know it's. They'd give me the same line. Every every table would give the same line. These big companies, like really big companies, everyone that have heard of them, and they, then they would turn around and go, oh, cybersecurity is very important. You know, that kind of you see that on the start of all the reports, don't you? Cybersecurity is very re- important. But we're not hiring anyone. Mm. And and nobody was hiring. And, you know, I remember being stood actually next to a table and there was three cybersecurity university graduates that just graduated, you know, that month. And they were doing the same thing. They were going to the same tables and they were going, cybersecurity jobs? I'm like, no. And I just like, these poor people have just been sold. Because, you know, you, you read all the stats and, and the stats say, you know, there's a skills shortage, you know, skills gap shortage, you know, Having a degree in cybersecurity, surely that must mean a job's out there for you. I just felt so awful for these people who had just, you know, spent all this time being sold that there's loads of jobs out there. And actually, companies are still not quite ready for it. Mm. Yeah. So when so when Kavea, where I'm at now, said, actually, we want to create this whole role for you and we want you to really change things up in terms of the way we do security, in terms of where we engage with the rest of the business, not just the tech side of it, but the whole organisation. 
and we want to do it in a way that makes sure that everyone knows what they need to do to keep things safe and secure. Yeah, amazing. Very forward thinking and what an amazing opportunity to have a role that is created for you, which means you can mm. make it your own and, and drive that forward, which I'm I'm sure you have. So, And you're about six months into that role? I am, yes. Yeah. Yes. And how's it going? Um, I think I'll pass my probation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, Never in doubt. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm having such a blast. Uh, it, it's been really liberating because um, uh, because plus the NHS you know I really really loved the work I was doing there but you, you do have to it's a lot of bureaucratic hoops that you need to jump through to get things implemented um, whereas with this role I can do a lot of experimentation so I can be listening to a podcast you know much like much like yours a cybersecurity podcast and hear about a new way of working that sounds really interesting I was like oh I'll, I'll spin up a little experiment next week and, and try that and see how mm. it goes and and so I'm able to do things like that um you know on, on a whim I'll go okay well I want to do a 12 month OWASP training course for the developers and I'll just go out and just do it yeah so to be able to have that freedom and creativity it must be amazing f- for you and you know the type of person that you are in terms of moving things forward so and uh, what's the aspiration for you in this role yeah what what, what is it that you you know, once you get to the end of this role, whenever you, that might be, you turn around and look back and say, this is what, you know, this is what we were able to deliver. What is that in terms of tangible outputs? I want to make security awareness intrinsic. I don't want it to be something that you have to consciously think about doing. I want it, when I finally leave, I want people to just live and breathe it, but it not be something that weighs them down it's just something that is you know it's just part of their everyday job you know all the things that we have to do in our day-to-day jobs that's just one of the parts it's for too long cybersecurity has been seen as a sort of separate arm as an add-on as a bolt-on um as a as a blocker to to progress and innovation um something that slows releases down i want to by the end of my time at at cavea to be able to make sure that when security is in mind it's on budget on time and doing the job it needs to do and i have no doubt that you'll get there given the 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 career story that you've just uh, told and and the things that you have delivered and i think the consistencies that you know you've talked about right from the first roles in terms of helping and enabling people who needed it and all the way through in every role that you've done, actually, in terms of looking at other people and how you can help them learn more, develop more, be able to see opportunities within roles or or perhaps other roles within the organisation that you're working for. I think people has very much been at the heart of, of your story. And uh, and and we we should be very grateful in security that you made that leap and that you started going down that route of teaching yourself to code um, which I think is a very brave move, and but one that's obviously reaped rewards for you and, and paid dividends. And uh, you know, and it's it's great that you're in the role that you're in, and and transformation or transformative is absolutely the right word I think for that role. So, and I would love to catch up with you in a year's time and have an update on what's happened, and particularly some of the stuff that you mentioned that you kind of gave a bit of a teaser on in terms of things that you're you know looking at at the moment and and different ways of doing things because I think that will really inspire other people who are also feel as passionately as you do about awareness and how we change the game in in terms of uh, security awareness and things like that. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much for for, for talking about that, and um, I think it's. You know what? What an amazing story! So your kind of career in security is is kind of just getting started, really. In some ways, yeah, yeah. I, I'm really excited about where it could possibly go. I just, I just love. I just eat everything up for it. You know, even on a weekends. You know, it's just it's it's all dedicated to to learning something new about cybersecurity. It drives my partner mad. <laughs> Because uh, for Christmas I got a, a a waterproof radio, so I've been listening oh, yeah. to cybersecurity podcasts, even in the shower and stuff like that. I just it's like 
him him he's not um he's not in tech at all so he's just like i'm I'm so sick of these doom and gloom stories about how people are getting my data and things like i'm really fed up with it but that's it i think it's the passion you know and that and that's the thing that i you know we do see and we're we're very lucky in the industry i think there's so many people are so passionate about it it it, it's not just a job um for for a lot of people you know i think and, and understanding that and being able to um people who are on a mission really to, to make things better and, and, and to make us as an industry better and in how we move forward and how we do things. And, and uh, you know, we definitely need more people like that moving forward. So so thank you so much for, for, for telling me that story. And I will absolutely be inviting you back, like I say, in a, for, you know, in a, in a little while to sort of see how things are going and to talk a little bit more in detail about that and, and the gains and the wins that you've done. Because I know from what you said earlier, you'll be all over the metrics in terms of what's being delivered and what's changing and what's mm-hmm. working and what isn't and and you know where that creativity is taking you so so good stuff so Leanne we just got our rapid response questions to rattle through mm-hmm. right at the end of the um the podcast and I'm not sure whether you're going to have time to do some of these things to be honest but I've got to ask you the question anyway so just find <laughs> out a little bit more about you so question one as ever uh what was the best concert you've ever been to and why Prince um, when he did his thirty one twenty one tour in London, where he was there for for ages, massive Prince fan, uh, anyways. But just seeing him live, crawling on the stage like a lizard, was one of the most fantastic moments of my life. Um, me and my friends sort of all went together, and we're all just crying, just thinking, "This is amazing." We were so close; it was just brilliant. Prince, absolute fantastic performer. Amazing! I'm very jealous. There are a few artists that I didn't get to see, and will always regret that I did get to see them live in concert and Prince is one of them. So, so I'm very jealous about that. Question two, I think I might know the answer to this, but I'm not going to make the assumption. What is the biggest issue that you believe that we are facing in uh, information security today, in your opinion? Our own hubris. Oh, expand, please. I think we are our worst enemy a lot of the time. Um, and I think that's all stemmed from the fact that you know, historically, and still to this day, really, we, we, you know, we tend to have the smallest budgets in, in the team. We tend to have, a, you know, we tend to be the smallest team, you know, compared to how many developers and, and engineers there are compared to inf- information security people. You know, there's not a lot of us about. So we've had to, early in days, be very sort of self-preservationist. And yeah, I can see why we would have to have said no to quite a lot of things back in the early days, but we're still in that mindset. And it's it's a bit like the uh, primordial ooze. We need to sort of get out of our sort of dinosaur way of thinking, actually, how can we rebrand ourselves and actually think for people to turn around and go, actually, we want to throw money at these people. We want to make sure that they hire more people so they, so we're not doing a thousand jobs at once, you know, and being stressed out and burnt out. Mm. But where we are our own worst enemies we we do go into rooms and sort of go we're the smartest people in the room and it's it's not a turn on mm. uh, so our own hubris is i think one of the biggest barriers to cybersecurity at the moment yes and our ability to 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 talk and communicate and explain mm-hmm. and you know is is the big thing that is going to make the difference i think so yeah good answer question three what has been your all-time favorite box set binge so before lockdown, it was a TV show from the 70s called Survivors, in which a deadly flu-like pandemic <laughs> wipes out the world. But uh, I've kind of lost my taste for those kind of things these days. Yes, uh, <laughs> I'm definitely avoiding anything with a pandemic in it, that's for sure. But, uh, yes. So I'm going to go for something that is, is quite nice. And, and I, I petition Netflix and Prime, Amazon Prime all the time for it. And they don't listen to me. I don't know what I'm going to do. Boston Legal. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but it was from the early 2000s. And it was off the backs of uh, Ali McBeal. It was a spin-off show from there. And it, it featured uh, William Shatner. And it was very, very camp. I It rings a bell with me. Uh... It was very quick. Right. I really like the quick humour. The name definitely rings a bell with me. I'm going to have to go and I'm, I'm be on the search engine after this, having a look at looking <laughs> it up. So, uh, right, Boston Legal. Good. Okay. I'm getting, a, I'm compiling a, so I say this every, every episode, I've got a list of box sets that I haven't quite got to. And of course, now is a brilliant time to be watching them, um, given that, that we've not much else to do. So question four, who is your InfoSec hero or shero? 
Um, I would have to say, and and I'm sure she gets mentioned a lot, but uh, Liza May. Mm-hmm. I just think she's so fantastic. I, I just I would love to be her, and yeah, you know, I'm sure she probably gets that a lot. She's just so gutsy, and the the no prisoners attitude is just what our industry needs at the moment. It's exactly the phrase I was just about to use, which was takes no prisoners, and she absolutely mm-hmm. doesn't. So, um, for good good choice. I was asked the same question on a recent podcast. Actually, that was my answer too. So, mm-hmm. um, good uh, good hero Shiro to be calling out. Question five. So you've had a really bad day, Leanne, and you've got. I was going to say got home. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. You've you've moved out of the change, room that you were working rooms. in. <laughs> um, and you're reaching for your all-time favourite comfort food. What is that? Chips. I love chips. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm mad for the potato. <laughs> Salt and vinegar. Salt and vinegar, um, curry sauce as well, you know, fish and chips, chips. Curry sauce. Yeah. I went to a um, a chippy the other day, and they asked me. There was three varieties of curry sauce. I've not come very across good, that before. Very good. I was just like, "What? Explain." There was. I can't remember if I remember off the top of my head which ones they were. But were, I've never been in a chip shop that had three different varieties. It's quite something. So, um, is this a thing? Is this is this something you've it, found before? It's it's a very northern thing, I think, to have three different types. So I am um, I. I'm not going to claim to be an expert, but I believe it would be a sort of traditional chip shop curry sauce. Irish was the, one of them, I think, uh, and Chinese curry sauce. Oh, so was sometimes I- you sometimes you get fruit curry as well. Right. Gosh. Well, I never. I literally <laughs> ended up in paradise. Clearly, so um, I was like oh, three different types, and uh, I can't remember which one I went for. I think it was the Irish one. Uh, which I think is spicier, I think, or mm. something like that. Anyway, digress. Chips, okay, with you on that one. And one final question. How would other people describe you in one word? Workaholic, I think. <laughs> Probably that one. Uh, has yes. been said, has been known. <laughs> yes, it would be true. And and many other things. Inspiring, tenacious lots of other words i could put alongside that but uh but definitely a workaholic but that work workaholism is definitely paying dividends so um but it doesn't feel like work to me you know I, I enjoy it so much it doesn't feel like work well they do say don't they find something you're passionate about and mm-hmm. it doesn't you know and that's the that's 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 the secret so Leanne, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast and you know hearing your story is quite something um, if I'm really honest, in terms of, you know, you're wanting to give back, as I said, you know, how you've moved things forward, um, you know, how you've applied and, you know, driven stuff on your own, your self-learning, the fact that you're looking for opportunities all of the time to to improve not only people who need it, but looking at your colleagues and the teams within your organisations that you're working with. And obviously now that being obviously your, your, your job to do that in relation to InfoSec. Um, it is very inspiring, very inspiring story. And I'm sure other people will feel the same um, who've listened to this podcast. So I can't thank you enough for coming on and uh, and having a chat with me. And as I say, I absolutely will be getting back in touch later on in the year to find out how everything's going and, um, you know, to find out a little bit more about the work that you're doing at Kavea. So thanks ever so much for coming on. It's been great chatting to you. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been an absolute thrill. I'm such a massive fan of this podcast. So oh, I just... Yay, I, thank you. I, pin- I pinched myself. <laughs> when you asked me, I pinched myself. So, oh, yeah, I'm very pleased. Well, that's great. It's been my pleasure having you on. It really has. So thanks ever so much. And, oh, just last thing, if people want to get in touch with you, so I'm sure people will want to get in touch with you about just perhaps some advice about resources or careers or whatever. Um, Can you be reached on social media? And if so, where? I can indeed. And always happy to help out. Best place for me is uh, LinkedIn. Um, I'm I'm always on there. I I do love a bit of LinkedIn. Um, So that's Leanne Potter on LinkedIn. And also on Twitter, it's uh, tech underscore soapbox tech and a soapbox brilliant okay well i'm sure people will be in touch um as a result of that so thanks ever so much leanne and you stay safe and take care and hopefully see you in person soon 